You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, I am, as always, stuck in the middle with you right here on Pacifica Radio's KPFK, live from Los Angeles, 90.7 FM in LA, 90.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, along the beautiful Central Oregon coast. KYAQ 91.7 FM. Oh, we've got some Oregon news coming up today. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on, among others, KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, now on FYI Nation Network, one of our newest affiliates. Welcome aboard, guys. And of course, on iTunes, this is your broadcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Glad you can join us Today, we've got a lot of news, including some breaking news and including some exclusive new developments that you will only hear here uh, in the story of U.S. District Court Judge Mark Fuller, who was arrested. We've talked about this story previously. He was arrested after allegedly beating his wife last summer. Uh, His attorney uh, has a new defense for him now, and we've got the complete 911 audio from uh, the event that happened that night when his wife called into 911 from uh, this Atlanta hotel room that uh, she was staying at with the with the judge. We obtained the complete 911 audio, I should say, via public records request and the audio from that call appears to completely contradict what Judge Mark Fuller's wife, he's a U.S. District Court judge, what his wife, uh, I'm sorry, what his attorney is now claiming uh, in, in this case. We will have all of that. I believe we are the first ones to air it in full on this program. We ran it on uh, on Brad blog yesterday. Salon picked it up this morning. Uh, my story, and uh, we will have that uh, call as well as new comment that isn't on Brad Blog or Salon uh, from Mark Fuller's attorney that I got late today. So all of that is ahead. Also, some great voting news out of Oregon, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, some very good news, uh, I'm happy to say. Also, some crazy news out of the already underway Republican presidential primary season. So we'll have that. Also, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be joining us as usual 
to discuss another Category 5 storm that is uh, that wreaked devastation in the Pacific earlier this week. As the extreme weather continues to get extremely expensive around the world in both lives and dollars. And no, despite the continuing heat records out here, out west in uh, in California and I should say around the globe, few in the media are mentioning the fact that climate change is responsible for all of that heat. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because the mainstream media is in New York City and they had a cold winter, so nothing else matters. Also, a new report finds that California is running out of water completely, and Desi will bring some good news. For the first time, global economy is improving, even while carbon emissions are staying flat. So that's ahead with Desi Doyen, but we're going to go to Desi right now because we've got some breaking news Several shootings, ongoing situations now around the globe, both in Tunisia and in Phoenix. Uh, Desi, what do we have on these two breaking stories as we go to air today? Well, right now, the first was that terror attack in Tunis. That's the capital of Tunisia. Uh, police say they've now killed two gunmen and they ended a hostage siege at the Bardo Museum. That's in the heart of the capital of Tunis. And two more gunmen are said to be now in custody. The uh, Tunisian government confirms at least 21 people were killed in the attack. Oh, man. That's including uh, two museum workers and maybe some police officers as well, plus 17 foreign tourists, another 22 tourists have been wounded. They're mostly from European countries like Spain and Germany, Britain, Italy, France, and Poland. Um, and the important thing to note is that this museum, the Bardo Museum, is next door to Tunisia's parliament building. Yeah. So no group has claimed responsibility for the attack, but the prime minister alluded to Islamist terrorists, saying that the government's going to continue to defend itself against groups that have been attempting to destabilize the country. It's now uh, just had its second of the first free democratic election since 2011, and uh, and they've uh, said that basically this is an unusual assault on a popular tourist attraction in broad daylight, so that's and causing tu- some concerns. Yeah, and, and Tunisia, well, I know that uh, Tunis relies a lot on tourist dollars, but uh, Tunisia, we should remind listeners, is uh, really the first country where the uh, Arab Spring sort of took place, and, and a lot of people don't remember, that happened right after... Uh, then Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, released all of those cables, all of those international cables, and uh, the leaks of those cables ended up leading directly uh, to, uh, to the overthrow of the government in Tunisia. And uh, that has been really the, one of the few success stories in, yes. in the Arab Spring, at least as far as uh, moving to a stable democracy. Uh, and so uh, uh, very uh, troubling to see that happening uh, today in Tunis. Also, more shooting news in this country, in yeah. Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. What do we have on that at this hour? Well, Des? this was in the Arizona sub, I mean, the Phoenix suburb of Mesa. That's about mm-hmm. 15 miles east of downtown Phoenix. Police now say that they have a, a suspect in custody uh, that went on a shooting spree across several locations uh, this morning. And that began at a motel across the street from a vocational college where one person was shot and killed. Five other people were wounded at various locations. Uh, police say that the suspect that they now have in custody is a middle-aged white man. 
So mm. make with that what you will. And also at the same time, just want to note there was you an. See, unre- it's a cultural. <laughs> it's a cultural problem. Middle-aged white men. It's it's just it's deep, deep in the culture. This kind of violence. What are we going to do about it? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you were saying just, at the same time, while yeah. I was watching the live feed uh, um, for the police at this Mesa shooting, they also mentioned that hey, by the way, yeah, one of those other shootings around the city was unrelated. There was another shooting in Glendale, uh, which is just outside of Phoenix, another uh, suburb. And so they basically had multiple shooters around the city today. Well, I, I, I hope that the media, when they uh, talk about this, they will ask any middle-aged white man that they have uh, to disavow this sort of thing uh, and to speak out loud against uh, shooting. And this is, you know, any any middle-aged white man they find, I, I think they need to personally disavow this kind of behavior that happened in Phoenix today. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer here, and, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report. She'll be joining us a bit later. And uh, if there's any further developments, particularly in that Tunisia story, uh, Desi, just let us know. Okay, before we get to this Mark Fuller uh, matter, this exclusive, uh, I've been getting a lot of emails today concerning the Israeli elections that happened yesterday, specifically uh, the disparity, the concerns uh, between the disparity in the exit polls, which showed uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party was likely... um, to come in second place out of all of these parties who are running, uh, and the eventual final results in which the Likud party seems to have clearly won with a, a majority of the seats in the parliament, um, and uh, he will have the first opportunity to form a government, uh, despite the fact that, you know, not just the exit polls were showing that it was going to be either neck and neck or Likud would be losing, uh, but earlier polls, polls on Friday. Now, the last of the polls came in on Friday before the election on uh, Tuesday. So there was no polling over the weekend. Things can change over those times. Uh, I don't have any hard information now personally, especially when it comes to stories like this. Uh, I, I only like to you know, cover this stuff when I've got hard, independently verifiable evidence about concerns one way or another. So let me tell you what I do know since people have been asking uh, you know, what kind of voting system do they use there? This, uh, you know, these exit polls suggesting one thing uh, and the results coming out another way has alarmed a lot of people in this country, to say the least. Uh, let me point out that Israel, to the best of my knowledge, unless something has changed, because I know they are working towards an electronic system, right now everyone who votes in Israel, to the best of my understanding, votes on a paper Ballot. It's a little bit different than the ballots we have in this country in that in Israel they're voting for a party as opposed to a candidate or, um, you know, a bunch of different candidates. They're essentially choosing a party, a list of candidates uh, from a particular party uh, that, that they want to see uh, represented in the Knesset, in the, uh, in the Israeli parliament. Uh, the way it works is they essentially go into a booth, they pick a postcard that represents that particular political party. They take that card, put it into an envelope, seal that envelope, put it into a ballot box, and then all of those cards, all of those ballots are counted by hand at the end of the day uh, after uh, polling uh, closes. And it closes, I think, 10 o'clock at night on um, uh, in, in Israel. In that election. Now, they have been talking about going to an electronic system, the type that we have here, the type that is not verifiable after an election. 
Obviously, their elections have been uh, becoming more and more like uh, U.S. elections, unfortunately. But for the most part, Israeli elections, you know, we recently covered uh, a new study out of uh, Harvard and the University of Sydney have a, a new project called the uh, Electoral Integrity Project. They rated the elections here in the U.S. as 45th in U.S. Uh, in election integrity from among the, I believe it was 127 countries that experts looked at. We are 45th, last among long-established democracies. Israel was rated 15 in that same poll. One of the reasons I would suspect is because, you know, we're able to actually oversee the results of those elections, unlike so many of the elections here in the U.S. So at this point, I'm not going to you know, make any claims one way or another about what happened yesterday in Israel and if the results of the, the final results can be uh, trusted or if the pre-election polls should be trusted, or if the exit polls should be trusted. I just wanted to let folks know that I am looking at it. We'll see what, if anything, we find. And just to let people know that, uh, to my knowledge, they are still using all paper ballots all across the country that are hand-counted in the uh, in the nation of Israel. We will keep our eyes on that. Okay. I want to get to this Mark Fuller story and these developments here because this is a story we've been covering on the broadcast that hasn't been uh, covered almost anywhere else since this happened last August. We had been making a lot of noise about this immediately after it came about um, because you've got a federal judge, a federal judge with a lifetime appointment to the federal bench who cannot be removed from that job other than by an act of Congress, other than by impeachment. He can't be removed unless he decides to resign or retire. And this guy, U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller out of the Middle District of Alabama, was arrested uh, in, in the summer, August of 2014, uh, down in Atlanta after his wife called 911, said that uh, the judge was beating on her, requesting an ambulance. Uh, and when the police came, uh, Mark Fuller was arrested. He then went before a state judge and was given uh, really a slap on the wrist, a sweetheart deal to uh, just fulfill a what a, a pre-trial, what do they call it, a, a pre-trial diversion program which, if he completes it, his criminal record will disappear entirely. It will literally be expunged from the record as if it never happened. And all he had to do was uh, pass a, a, a drug-supervised alcohol and, um, and drug test and go to 24 once-a-week domestic violence, domestic abuse counseling sessions. If he did that, if he completed that his criminal record would go away entirely. And that is the course that he has been on. However, at the same time, the 11th Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which oversees the district court that Mark Fuller sits on, has been investigating the matter. They've convened a special five-judge panel uh, to take testimony, to look at the evidence that exists in this case. And that panel then makes their recommendations to the 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit, the 11th Circuit Judicial Council, then can decide what to do. Their options essentially are to do nothing, to uh, issue a reprimand against uh, Judge Mark Fuller, 
to uh, request that he resign or retire, uh, or they can ask Congress to begin impeachment proceedings. And if Mark Fuller won't leave on his own, that's the only way that you're going to get rid of him. Well, we have several developments now in this case. A few weeks ago, and we were off air uh, when this one happened during the uh, uh, fund drive here at KPFK, but the uh, U.S. House Judiciary Committee, where any sort of impeachment would begin, any impeachment proceedings would begin, uh, has now requested an expanded budget specifically for this case, specifically in the event they need to begin impeachment hearings against U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller of Alabama. Uh, this request came from uh, Congressman Bob Goodlatte, Republican from Virginia, but he and uh, Democrat John Conyers, the ranking Democrat on that committee, have been working together on this and closely monitoring this and uh, appear ready to begin impeachment hearings if the 11th Circuit Court should recommend that to uh, 11th Circuit appellate court should recommend that to Congress. Now, the entire delegation from Alabama, the entire congressional delegation, all Republicans except for one Democrat, uh, Terry Sewell, have uh, asked for, have called on Mark Fuller to resign. Mark Fuller has said he will not resign, or at least his attorney, Barry Ragsdale, his attorney uh, from Birmingham, has said, no, uh, he's not going to resign. He didn't do it. Uh, this is uh, nobody really knows the full story. He says in this case, there was not there was no hitting, kicking or beating in this matter. The 9-11 call, however, says otherwise. Now, there was a new report, a new interview over the weekend with Barry Ragsdale in the Los Angeles Times, an interview by Timothy Phelps uh, with uh, Fuller's attorney, Barry Ragsdale, in which Ragsdale is now saying that Fuller was simply defending himself against his wife, that it was his wife who had attacked him. Now, uh, <laughs> A couple of points here before we get to this audio tape, which would seem to contradict what Ragsdale is saying. A couple of points. One, I want to point out that Mark Fuller was the judge who oversaw the case against Don Siegelman, the, the Democratic governor, the very popular Democratic governor of Alabama. Uh, who has uh, claimed with some evidence that this was, by and large, a political jihad against him by the U.S. prosecutor in Alabama, by Karl Rove, who used to be a U.S. Um, who used to be a political consultant in Alabama and is very close with folks down there in Alabama. There is a lot of evidence to support that. And his belief and others believe this as well, that Mark Fuller should have recused himself from the Don Siegelman case in the first place. He should have never been there because he had held several longtime grudges against the former governor, Don Siegelman. Uh, he did not. Uh, Fuller did not recuse himself from the case. Don Siegelman was sentenced to six and a half years. And after he was sentenced in this uh, in this case, uh, before the appeal even was allowed to go forward, he was literally ordered shackled and manacled and pulled out of the court and sent to prison by Judge Mark Fuller, who showed absolutely no mercy. He showed absolutely no mercy for something that now 113 bipartisan former uh, state attorney generals have said was never a crime at all until Don Siegelman was charged with it. 
So these concerns, I don't want to go into the details now. They're bribery allegations. Don Siegelman received no personal enrichment from any of this. Uh, there is no evidence of a quid pro quo. And yet he was found guilty of this and sentenced to six and a half years by Judge Mark Fuller, who has since been arrested for beating his wife. It is not the first time that Mark Fuller has been accused of uh, beating his wife or has been alleged to have beaten his wife. His first wife, back in 2012, when they got a divorce, uh, claimed in, uh, in court documents, suggested at least in court documents, that he had been uh, uh, abusive in that relationship as well. Uh, that he had uh, physically abused both her and their children, that he drove uh, drunk with the children in the car, that he was addicted to uh, prescription pain uh, medicine, and that he had an affair with a woman his co- who worked in his court, his court bailiff uh, by the name of Kelly Gregg. That woman, Kelly Gregg, is the woman that Mark Fuller eventually married and who appears to be his latest victim, at least according to this court case and according to the 9-11 audio. Now, before I play this audio in full for the first time, we've played clips of it on this show where you can hear what sounds as if Kelly Fuller being beaten uh, by the judge, being slapped by the judge. Before I play that, let me play you, let me read you in full here what it is that Barry Ragsdale had told the L.A. Times that was reported over the weekend. Uh, This comes from, as I say, Timothy Phelps from the L.A. Times. He reports Ragsdale said Kelly Fuller had become upset over an imagined, that's in quotes, an imagined affair she believed her husband of two years was having with a law clerk. Remember, Kelly Fuller had previously been uh, the court bailiff and was having an affair with with the judge before she uh, got married to him. Ragsdale said Fuller acted in self-defense. He said when Fuller refused to fire the, uh, the law clerk, his wife, quote, throws a glass at him and rushes at him while he is lying in bed in his underwear watching television. Quote, this coming, these quotes are from Barry Ragsdale. He reaches up, defends himself, grabs her by the hair and the shoulders. Uh, Ragsdale said, standing up, he throws her on the bed. She rolls off onto the floor and got a bloody lip. He never intended to hurt her. Now, the police, when they showed up to arrest uh, Judge Mark Fuller, uh, said that she had uh, lacerations on her face. Uh, She was bloodied and bruised. Her hair was found around the bedroom. Around the hotel room. This is the Rich Carlton in Atlanta, and there was blood found in the uh, in the bath uh, bathroom as well, according to the police report. She told the judge that he had thrown her to the ground and kicked her. Uh, that she was dragged around the room, and that Mr. Fuller hit her in the mouth several times with his hand. And of course, Fuller's attorney, uh, Judge Fuller's attorney, is now saying that never happened. Problem is, this 9-11 tape, which I received at uh, bradblog.com from a public records request from the Atlanta police, seems to be at odds with that account. So let me play this in full. Gee, this is uh, clip number one. Here's the call from Kelly Fuller. Now, listen closely. She calls. She's obviously upset when she calls. She asks for an ambulance. Some of it's a little bit hard to hear, but I think you can make it out. Uh, She requests an ambulance. She says he's beating on her. And then there is an exchange where they very calmly say, I hate you. And the judge says, I hate you, too. 
And then you can hear what sounds like smacks, what sounds like somebody being hit several times. I count about five times. And mind you, that's a full minute after this call has started. So if the call happened after, you know, when when she was rushing at the judge, uh, as his attorney now says, uh, a full minute goes by before we then hear what sounds to be smacks. So listen closely. This is the full 911 call from Kelly Fuller to the Atlanta police. The first time I believe that this has been aired in its entirety. Atlanta 911 operator 6342. What's the location is of your emergency? Hot room? Okay, what is your address? I think I'm in 918. What is the address? Uh, I'm at the Ritz Carlton. You're at the Ritz Carlton? Yes. What, what room number? I think I'm in 918. What's going on? Uh, this is domestic. Excuse me? A domestic dispute. Okay, with yourself and who else? I'm calling. I need help. What's your name? Kelly Fuller. Okay, do you need an ambulance? Yes, please. You need an ambulance too? Yes, please. Hold on. Emergency. Kelly. Kelly. Okay. She needs an ambulance. I'm sending the police. They're in a domestic fight now at the Ritz Carlton. What, what's the um? What's, what's the one eight one Peach Tree? Please help me. Yes. Is there a room? Nine eighteen. She thinks she's this nine eighteen. Nine eighteen. Okay, what's the operator of six three four two? Yours? I'm seven eight three. And what's going? What did she say? She said that she's in a domestic fight, and I can hear um, him hitting her now. Oh, okay. That's what, okay. Okay. All right. I'm got somebody on the way. So that was the nine one one call from Kelly Fuller on August nine two thousand and fourteen. Uh, to uh, in response to what she says was her husband, U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller, beating on her. You can hear the slaps and, and so forth. You can hear what sounds like slaps, at least. That's the first time, uh, to my knowledge, that's been aired in full. I obtained it at bradblog.com via public records request from the Atlanta police, and I play it because it seems to be at odds with this new explanation that is being given by Judge Mark Fuller's uh, attorney that uh, any of the uh, violence that that seems to have happened was because Kelly Fuller, the wife, rushed at him, accused him of having an affair, uh, rushed at him while he is lying in his bed, uh, lying in the bed uh, in his underwear, watching television. And he reaches up, defends himself, grabs her by the hair and the shoulders and that that's when she fell off the bed and got a bloody lip and that he never intended to hurt her. To me, that doesn't make sense. Because why is she calling 911 in the first place? Now, all of that could have happened before the call happened. Then what are those slaps and those smacks that we hear more than a minute after she has already called 911? 
Now, I contacted Barry Ragsdale, and his explanation is this. He says that the uh, evidence completely contradicts the story told by Kelly Fuller. This is from an email that Barry Ragsdale, he, the uh, uh, Judge Fuller's attorney from Birmingham, sent to me today. He says uh, that my coverage uh, includes a very glaring misapprehension that Kelly Fuller was telling the truth when she claimed that Judge Fuller was, quote, beating on me to the 9-11 dispatcher. So he's saying she was lying, I suppose. Uh, he writes, the only thing that is clear from the 911 call is that Kelly Fuller was drunk when she made the call. Her slurred speech and inability to respond to the dispatcher's questions make that clear. Ragsdale tells me that uh, he, he writes, you also assume that the, quote, slaps that you think you hear on the 911 call are evidence that Judge Fuller was hitting Kelly Fuller while she was on the telephone with the dispatcher. The truth is that even Kelly Fuller has admitted under oath that the slap sounds that you think you hear on the 911 tape were not caused by Judge Fuller hitting her. The brief alterca physical altercation between her and Judge Fuller was over before she ever called 911. It is not surprising, therefore, that the 911 audio does not record Kelly Fuller's assault on Judge Fuller, including the throne glass or the attack on Judge Fuller while he was in bed watching television. Now, that's from uh, Barry Ragsdale, uh, Judge Fuller's attorney, in an email sent to uh, me at, uh, at bradblog.com, uh, I guess exclusively this morning or this afternoon. Uh, he does not say, however, what those sounds on the 911 tape were, those slapping sounds, if they were not, in fact, slapping sounds. Uh, I've asked him about that. He also included some other information in his email to me. Uh, that conversation is continuing, hopefully, between he and I, and I will give you further information as I get it. Um, I don't want to go into all the details that he did offer me via email because uh, right now it's sort of taking his word for it. He's making certain other claims. But right now he's saying Kelly was uh, Kelly Fuller was lying when she called 911. She was not being beaten. She was drunk. Uh, and that there is no violence whatsoever heard on that tape, or at least not violence of uh, the judge hitting Kelly Fuller. I'll let you know more about that. You know, we normally don't cover domestic violence incidents on this show, but uh, obviously this is much more than domestic violence. Uh, you know, this concerns a sitting U.S. judge, a sitting U.S. judge who may be facing the rare act of impeachment in the U.S. Congress in the days ahead. We're expected to get the report from the 11th Circuit Court uh, based on their investigation, the five-judge panel that they convened to look into this matter, to take testimony on this matter, to look back at Judge Fuller's uh, initial, his previous marriage, his first marriage that ended in 2012 with the wife uh, making certain allegations that he uh, also was abusive or that he was abusive in that marriage. Um, so I think there's much more to come here, but this hasn't really been covered. You know, when when uh, the NFL's Ray Rice, the video came out showing that Ray Rice, uh, you know, beat up his wife in a in a hotel elevator himself. Uh, there was a lot of outrage. There was a lot of outrage from a lot of corners about it because I guess there was video. In this case, we don't have video. What we have is this audio tape and this audio tape is now being disputed by the judge's attorney. The judge who knows he is very likely 
to face impeachment proceedings in uh, in the U.S. House and and Senate if this moves forward. So he is preparing his defense. He's putting that out there publicly to the Los Angeles Times and now to Bradblog.com, even though the 911 tape would seem to contradict that defense. So we are going to continue with this story uh, in the days ahead and... Um, uh, you know, I, I'm quite troubled by it. I'm quite troubled, if only because it seems very few other people are actually covering this story. This seems like it's worth covering above and beyond the Don Siegelman trial. This guy has a lifetime appointment, $200,000 a year lifetime appointment to the federal bench. We'll keep our eyes on it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here and come back with much more Bradcast ahead. We'll lighten this up a little bit. Oh, I know exactly how we're going to lighten this up in a minute. Plus some good news out of Oregon. Yes, universal voter registration comes to Oregon. Uh, Desi Doyen will be joining us with the Green News Report and much more all ahead. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. that means. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Oh, a lot of breaking news today. Uh, and this one uh, just may about break you. I was gonna, I was hoping actually to get to some phone calls. I don't know that we're going to have time uh, because we got so much news. Yeah, we can try. I'll throw the number out there. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Don't know if we'll be able to get to uh, two calls or not because there's so much news here. However, you can always tweet me at the Brad blog. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that story uh, concerning Don Siegelman, uh, it's it's quite frustrating, frankly, that it's not being covered uh, in the mainstream media, that no one seems to give a damn about this guy with a lifetime appointment, a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. Uh, he can only be removed if our broken Congress agrees to remove him. Anyway, uh, yeah, that music at the top of the uh, at, at, uh, leading into this segment here. Yeah, that's Donald Trump's theme song. Why? Because as the New Hampshire union leader first broke yesterday and Donald Trump has now confirmed today, the Donald is launching a presidential exploratory committee. A senior advisor told the New Hampshire, New Hampshire union leader that Trump will not be renewing his contract with NBC for the reality television Apprentice series. 
Combined with uh, staff hires, Trump's announcement that he will form an exploratory committee for the first time is a sign that the billionaire is seriously consider run considering running for the Republican nomination. Trump's statement on forming, you know, you thought you thought this Republican race couldn't become any more of a circus. Yeah, well, Trump's statement on forming the exploratory committee hints at the razzle dazzle to come for a turbocharged personality known for skewering the political establishment. He refers to politicians who are, quote, all talk and no action. His tremendous business success and now and how he is, quote, the only one who can make America truly great again. That's who he is. Uh, and this time it looks like at least he's kind of pretending he might actually get in the Republican race. Trump has flirted with running for president before, but his moves ahead of 2016 are far more concrete than in the past, says the union leader. He has a team of political advisors based in New York. He has hired staff in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina. Senior political advisor Corey Lewandowski, who is a Granite Stater, that's New Hampshire, was hired in February. According to Lewandowski, Apprentice producer Mark Burnett personally called Trump to offer another season of The Apprentice on NBC, but Trump turned it down. Nobody in the history of television has turned down a renewal, Lewandowski said in a phone interview with the union leader, but Mr. Trump can do that. That's what Lewandowski's. I don't know if Lewandowski has a New York accent. I, I just decided to give him. Anyway, uh, so so that's the news. As insane as a Republican, you know, I thought we would never top what we saw in 2012, but we might actually uh, top it. Now, the Democrats immediately today, as this news came out, the Democrats had a response, as you might expect. This is literally their response. They tweeted a link in response to the Donald Trump story, they tweeted a link to this. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when we live in our dreams. Yes, uh, the Everything is Awesome song from the Lego movie. Democrats apparently are very, very excited about this. Very excited to see Donald Trump get into the race. Uh, well, I guess they might. I guess they might, given that, you know, people looking at this uh, Hillary Clinton email stuff. We talked about that last week. It seems to me to be overblown. However, it doesn't seem to be uh, overblown that the Democrats are really putting all of their eggs in one basket with Hillary Clinton. And if that falls apart, who knows what happens uh, thereafter. But uh, so, so they're they're delighted about that. Uh, and I got to say, I'm kind of delighted about it, too. I mean, if it's going to be a circus, if it's going to be ridiculous, if we're not going to actually talk about real issues, then at least put Donald Trump in there and let's have some fun. And uh, that's apparently what's going to happen. Uh, so I'm uh, delighted about that, but even more delighted about the following news out of Oregon. Uh, this is very uh, happy news. And speaking of Democrats, I hope other Democratic states, I hope all states around the country get the picture uh, on this. But we'll see if they do. Meanwhile, Oregon has Oregon has new gov uh, governor, of course, Kate Brown. 
uh, after the uh, previous uh, governor just resigned a, a few weeks ago in a in a scandal there. So Kate Brown was formerly the secretary of state and the way it works in Oregon, they don't have a lieutenant governor. So when the governor resigns, secretary of state takes over. Kate Brown is now the Oregon governor. And on Monday, I'll let Washington Post editorial board uh, describe this. On Monday, Kate Brown signed into law a remarkable reform that will sweep away one of the greatest barriers to the ballot box. The gratuitously complicated opt-in voter registration process. While much of the country is making uh, is making voting more difficult, Oregon is pushing forward with innovative voting reform that should be universally praised. Other states, or better yet, federal standards should follow, says the Washington Post. Oregon's new law assigns the state more responsibility to keep voter rolls complete and accurate, taking much of the burden off of individuals. Oregonians who meet voting eligibility rules will be automatically registered to vote when they get a driver's license or personal ID cards. The State Department of Transportation already collects all the basic information needed to register people, legal name, age, residence, citizenship information, electronic signature. It also regularly collects change of address information. Why not share all of that with the state officials responsible for keeping the voter rolls? It's an obvious move, says The Washington Post. Yet in doing so, Oregon becomes a national leader. Oregonians will still be able to decline this universal voter registration that will happen as yeah, soon as uh, citizens turn 18. State election officials must send all automatically registered voters a card asking if they would prefer to stay off the rolls. But making voter registration opt out rather than opt in is long overdue. And I agree with the Washington Post. And I don't agree often with the Washington Post editorial page, but I certainly agree in this case. It's long overdue. Oregon expects to register some 300,000 of its 800,000 unregistered residents immediately and thousands more as the system phases in. There's no good case for making people go through the hassle of traditional opt-in registration simply to exercise the fundamental right to vote, says The Washington Post, who is absolutely right on this matter. We should have universal registration when you turn 18 in every state in the union. Of course, we don't have that. And people should understand that, you know, the reason we have voter registration at all is not to help people uh, vote. It's to keep people from voting. It's to make it harder for people to vote. That's why we've had, uh, you know, registration for uh, voter registration in this country for so long to make it harder to vote. And that mechanism has been used uh, by Democrats uh, back in the Jim Crow South to to keep African-Americans from being able to vote because they couldn't get registered is being used now all over the country by Republicans from keeping African-Americans, uh, you know, Hispanics, any type of minority, uh, poor people, elderly students from being able to cast their vote. This would do away with the problem. This would do away with these fights that we've talked about for so many years here, uh, photo ID restrictions at the polling place. Universal voter registration. Way to go, Oregon. Now, I should say, when I first uh, reported this at Bradblog, uh, I had uh, snarkily noted on Twitter, well, that's one state, 49 states to go. Uh, and I was uh, helpfully informed on, on the Twitters by Twitter user Neenercat. 
Uh, that in fact, North Dakota has had uh, universal registration for decades now. And that's true. And I had completely forgotten about that. I knew about that, but it is so uncontroversial that I, you know, I I just completely forgot. So actually, so in North Dakota, anybody, any citizen who is of age and declares North Dakota to be their residence gets to vote there. Case closed. Uh, So now between North Dakota and Oregon, maybe now we're getting somewhere. Maybe now we're becoming like the rest of the civilized democracies in the world. The U.S. is one of only a few democracies in the world where the government does not take responsibility for registering voters. Over writes uh, fairvote.org. In contrast, the international norm is an orderly process of automatic registration of every citizen who reaches voting age and of every person who becomes a citizen. Citizens are automatically placed on voter rolls upon reaching voting age and or government officials actively work to register all citizens. That's what happens in the civilized democracies everywhere else. That's not what happens here in the U.S., uh, at least in 48 states at least until uh, now in Oregon and for decades in North Dakota. I'm hoping that other states will figure this out and will start picking up universal voter registration. Until then, uh, way to go, Oregon. And by the way, uh, as people know who follow Brandblog, I don't like Oregon's all-vote-by-mail elections. I think that's a terrible idea. And uh, I've, I've explained, if you go to, uh, to the blog, you'll see a lot of the articles I've written over the years explaining why I think all vote-by-mail elections are a terrible idea. I know that the folks in Oregon love it, and that's fine. They're welcome to love it, and it does seem to increase voter turnout. Uh, but as far as uh, citizen oversight and uh, the, the problems of fraud that it can introduce to the system, I am no fan. But when it comes to everyone getting to vote which they can now do in uh, Oregon automatically. I think it's a great idea. Congratulations. Way to go. Thank you, Oregon. Two states down, 48 more to go. All right, let's do some green news. Melting for you, Desi Doyen. Oh, man, what a, a terribly busy day today. I had so much more I wanted to get to, but oh, well, I can't. Uh, it has been melting out here. 90 degrees we've had over the last several days. We've been in the 90s in March, in mid-March, Desi Doyen. Yeah, we just broke several records, several local city high temperature records for, for March. And it's 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 kind of nutty. It, not only is it nutty, the problem is, we talked a little bit about this last week, that you know some of those records are being are discussed in the media. Uh, but they're not tying it to climate change. No. It's as if it's just happening. It's just a funny, funny coincidence. And you will find that pretty much, I think, across the country. Now, there are some meteorologists on TV who are starting to talk about the influence of climate change on the wacky, crazy weather we've been having across the country. But uh, not not very many, unfortunately. Not, right. not connecting those dots. No, they're not. Uh, but we will. That's what we've been doing for a long time. Connecting yep. climate change dots. We talk about that in today's Green News Report, which before we get to... Uh, in the minute or so I have here, Desi Doyen, uh, Europe is bracing for unprecedented power issues from Friday's solar eclipse. It will knock out almost all of solar, uh, all of the solar generated electricity in an unprecedented test for this new network, says Agence France Presse. 
quote, the risk of an incident cannot be completely ruled out. The European Network of Transmission System Operators for Electricity, or ENSO-E, said recently as 100 times more power is generated from the sun now than during the last solar eclipse in, in, uh, eclipse in 1999. So you see, Des, they've added all of the solar, which you and your little renewable friends are happy <laughs> about. But then a solar eclipse comes along. Disaster. <laughs> it's horrible. Armageddon. No, actually, it's not going to be at all. It's going to be a disaster. It That's won't what be it says here in uh, AFP. Yes, I know. The media has been having a field day. So, yes, there is going to be a partial solar eclipse on March 20th. That's Friday in Germany. And actually, the German um, electric, electric utility industry mm-hmm. is really looking forward to it. They see it as a very challenging test of the systems that they've set up so far. I mean, they have a very integrated grid system where they've integrated rooftop solar and distributed generation all across the country. So they're looking forward to figuring out, they see this as a huge engineering challenge, and they're, they're looking forward to, to seeing how it, it tests out the system that they have, because by 2030, they will have much greater penetration of solar and wind energy in Germany. So they want to see, okay, well, what happens when we get up to, say, 60% of our energy being generated by renewable sources, by solar? You know, we'll get a sense of what it's like through this one test case for a couple of hours on Friday. We'll get a sense of what it's like to see what happens when you have a fully integrated system in 2030. Yes, what it's like is complete disaster. No, it's it's not. The sudden (laughs) drop-off in production could reach 34,000 megawatts, the equivalent of 80 medium-sized conventional power plants. The country hardest hit, since you mentioned Germany, uh, is likely uh, to be Germany. And and their brief plunge into darkness, uh, (laughs) which because they have a solar power capacity of 40,000 megawatts and 18% of electricity consumption last year came from solar power. Yeah. It's disaster ahead, and you're just laughing about it. Oh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. Because when the when the eclipse is over and the sun basically comes back on, essentially, these solar panels are all going to deliver a lot of energy suddenly to the grid. They've already prepared for this. They've got all their algorithms figured out to move energy from one place to another as they need it. So it's going to be really exciting. Well, to see I how hope it turns that'll out. be exciting. I hope that will be good news because we don't have quite as much good news in our latest, unfortunately, Green News report. Most of the building has been destroyed. Uh, many houses have been destroyed. Schools, health facilities has been destroyed. Another Category 5 storm wreaks devastation in the Pacific. $300 billion every year. Extreme weather getting extremely expensive. Right now we're reaching water levels that are at historic lows. Scientist warns California could soon run out of water. Plus, some good news. For the first time in history, the global economy grew, but carbon emissions did not. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, the willing suspension of disbelief can only be sustained so long. Oh, Mr. Vice President, I think you vastly misunderestimate your adversaries. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you've got loads of rather terrible news to get to here today, but I do want to point out, we have been talking for years on this broadcast about connecting the climate change dots. 
and how so few in the mainstream media do that. I want to give kudos to HBO's Vice, who in their season premiere this year really did connect those climate change dots from the melting of the ice up in Greenland down to the ice sheets falling away in Antarctica and how that affects the indigenous populations in places like Bangladesh that are being overcome with water and even here in the U.S. where this denialist movement persists. A big thumbs up to HBO's Vice for connecting all of those dots. It was a great episode. Yeah, it was truly tremendous. I highly recommend watching it. And speaking of connecting those climate change dots, we had a terrible reminder of that over the past few days. Yes, we did. In the South Pacific island nation of Vanuatu, relief and rescue efforts are now underway after a Category 5 storm, Cyclone Pam, directly hit the tiny island nation over the weekend. 24 confirmed dead so far, thousands homeless, 90% of the buildings reportedly destroyed. Vanuatu President Baldwin Lonsdale tells BBC TV Super Cyclone Pam destroyed all that the government has built in recent years. Most of the building has been destroyed. Uh, many houses have been destroyed. Schools, health facilities has been destroyed. Uh, Cyclone Pam, I describe it as a, a monster. And it is a setback for the whole nation. It will take time for scientists to determine the exact influence of global warming on Cyclone Pam's intensity. But it was the latest in an unusual string of massive Category 5 superstorms in the Pacific in recent years amid record high ocean temperatures. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon at an international conference on the impacts of natural disasters on Sunday warned that climate-related disasters now account for nearly 80% of all natural disasters in the world, costing $300 billion a year. Over the last two decades, more than four out of every five disasters were related to climate change. He called on the international community to step up helping the poorest nations because they will be hit first and worst by climate change. While nowhere near the same level of impact as Vanuatu, extreme weather events are causing an economic hit in developed countries, too. In Boston, it's now officially the snowiest winter on record, where snow removal and region-wide shutdowns have blown a hole in the city's budget and the region's economy. In California, it's the opposite extreme. Due to record drought and lack of snow, ski resorts in mountain areas are closing. And that lack of snow is worsening California's record drought. NASA's senior water scientist James Familietti warns that California has about only one year of surface water remaining in its reservoirs. That's according to new satellite data. And on MSNBC, he recommended mandatory rationing. We need to look at the situation holistically. How much surface water, how much groundwater we have. And, and plan for the future. And that probably means uh, mandatory rationing. Wow. Mandatory rationing out here in California? Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. But if we run out of water, what else are you going to do? Exactly. But finally, we end with a bit of good news. Thank you. The International Energy Agency announced that for the first time ever, the global economy grew, but greenhouse gas emissions remained flat. Thanks to the deployment of new solar and wind energy around the world, the global economy grew but did it without increasing carbon dioxide emissions. Now, this is very good news if it holds for more than a year. Well, that is good news because usually the only time we see emissions coming down is when we have a, a, a global economic slump. So the economy is growing Yet emissions are holding flat. Yes, they are. And that's really, really good news. A small bit of it at the very least. Thank you, Desi. For much more on all of today's stories, 
please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Vanuatu, Vanuatu. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The land where we belong. Where belong. Vanuatu, Vanuatu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Desi Doyan. Appreciate that. Uh, Excellent, if troubling, report this week. Um, as Desi Doyne, our producer, of course, and my co-host on the Green News Report. My thanks also to G, our soundboard operator this week. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week, if the radio gods are with us. Otherwise, as usual, you can find me at bradblog.com. Oh, and on the Twitters, at the Bradblog. Until we meet again... Find me there. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world.